Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Snakes on the Diamond talk show. Unfortunately, today, Wes is not feeling good. He's feeling sick, so it's just going to be me for the next 50 minutes. Get to hear uh, slightly less filtered opinion versus what you would normally hear on Twitter. Or certainly more fleshed out than 280 characters allows me. So getting into the gist of the topics here. Today we're going to talk about the uh, Dimebacks recent trade acquisition, some trade rumors that have popped up this morning, and also focusing on what areas this and then focusing on what areas this team can do to improve the deadline. So coming into play in August, the Dimebacks are in a three-way tie for the final wildcard spot with the Marlins and I believe the Phillies. And those two teams are going to be locking horns this week. So the Dimebacks have a chance if they can beat San Francisco in this series to not only close the gap, they'll be tied with San Francisco going into the series for the top wild card. But it's like just a confidence booster going into some pretty tough series coming up ahead. We got the Twins, Dodgers, and Padres. And that home sta- five-game homestand against the Dodgers and the Padres is going to be very pivotal considering the fact that Dimebacks usually get uh, out, I guess you can say out, outnumbered by opposing teams' fans, especially with NL West opponents. So that's going to be a huge homestand. And then from not only a standing stick, but a psychological stick. I always I always thought that uh, this team struggled in their big crowds, but they obviously had an impressive win in front of 44,000 people on Saturday. So hopefully that gets them going, as well as the... Big trade deadline acquisition news yesterday. And if you're curious to see what um, that one's about, we have an upload video. It's about 20 minutes long. You can check that out. I'll leave that um, in the description where James Atwood and Spencer Gare and I talk about the Pulse World Edition, but obviously there's more to discuss. So when you kind of look at the deal... Sewell, obviously, Tori Lavello immediately named him closer, so that's your ninth inning guy. And sometimes it's better when people know who's doing what, set roles, versus trying to pl- play matchups. But certainly, uh, I think certainly having a close peace of mind, because then now you can take your three-headed monster that can't pitch the ninth inning, they don't have to pitch the ninth inning. You put Scott McGinn and obviously McGuff, who pitched very well last night, I might add. Uh, now McGuff is your primary setup man. Kevin Ginkle is probably your secondary setup man. And you kind of play the matchups. I think against a left-handed lineup, you bring in McGuff, but you have to have a tight leash on him because if he doesn't have the split, he's not pitched. He's not pl- he's, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle for him. But obviously last night he had the split going. It was absolutely filthy. And it was... and. Got both of his strikeouts on that pitch, and both of them were absolutely... Well, actually, no. His first strikeout came on a fastball down the middle, but the splitter set it up. Peterson stared at a fastball down the middle, and then the splitter, he threw the strikeout save with a runner at third. After the last splitter got through the fly, Carson Kelly's five hole, it's uh, that, was a, that ended up being the swing pitch of the game last night, and that's why they ended up winning. Because then all he had to do was... Get Bailey out, which happened, obviously, on a ground ball, the second base on a splitter down below the zone. That's kind of the bullpen setup. And then getting key left-handed outs, I think, is an addition the D-backs need to make with their bullpen. Chafin has not worked out. He has really bad reverse platoon splits, so I'm going to pull that up. So we're going to do an example baseball reference here. We're going to pull up Andrew Chafin's baseball reference page. Uh, We'll just pull up the splits. Well, I'll do, I'll do the tutorial anyway. So kind of just showing what do here, share screen on this thing. So here's Chafin's splits page. We're going to blow this up so you can see it on the broadcast. Uh, the mustache and mullet look doesn't look as good on Chafin as it does on Randy Johnson, but I digress. So what you would do once you get to the player page is... And let's go to the player page here. So kind of just a tutorial on how to use baseball reference, how to get the splits. Gross. Gross numbers. So you would go to, uh, so what you would do is you go to more Chafin pages. 
pitching splits 2023. So that's just a primary thing. If you've seen the David Bednar video where you look at, um, but we're not going to go that deep into the analysis here. We're only going to talk about Chafin's left-right splits because that's all you need to know. So, and then also, forgot to mention, uh, usually this works better, but I can't seem to navigate this thing. But besides, handedness is a... Lord. Baseball reference. Please work with me today. So, anyways, getting to the left-right splits as I stop. This is a problem. Left-handed hitter saying 314, on-base of 417, and an 848 slugging. I mean, OPS. They gave him they gave him almost they gave him six million dollars in guaranteed money. He's not doing his and it's uh he's basically a what we used to call the term a left hand. This is a term I like to say a left-handed rookie, right-handed one-out only guy. So you can't have that in the back. End. You have a guy that's struggling to get his same-handed hitters out. Whereas opposite-handed hitters, which is usually a pitcher with his stuff, this normally doesn't happen. A guy with a good breaking ball usually has a same-handedness platoon split, but unfortunately, the fact that your top left-hand reliever can't get lefties out, can only get lefties out less than sixty percent of the time, it's uh, it's a problem, and that's why he's on the why the Diamondbacks are listening on trade offers. Although I don't think it's necessarily sustainable. It's a one-year fluke. I think this is like a one-year fluke, but. Usually with relievers that have reverse platoon splits without a good off-speed pitch, that's either something you That's either something that you say, okay, this guy's either cooked or it's a fluke. We don't know which one it is, and given Chafin's age, either Chafin's 33 years old, so it's it could be either. But obviously, if you look at the uh, balls in play average, which of 457, you look at the 457 balls in play average. Obviously, that's not sustainable long term, but I think it's one of those things you have to look into the batted ball data beyond that. So either on a Statcast page, Statcast search, or Fangraphs splits page will do that for you. That's kind of the thing. And then Joe Mantiply, if we can do the same, we'll do the same thing. Look at Joe Mantiply. Mantiply is another reliever the Diamondbacks are list, listening to offers too. Although in Mantiply's case, Mantiply has will have four years of control after the season, given him he's been probably optioned enough in the minor leagues that he might not gain the full se- season of control. And considering it's the third, it would be the third year of control. It's a big one. Big one. So we'll look at Mantiply. Obviously, small sample size because he hasn't been healthy most of the year. Pull it up here. So looking at, I don't like this look. We'll go with this one. Less to me, more of the splits. So obviously, if you wanted to buy low on Joe Mantiply, this certainly makes sense. Good numbers against lefties in a small sample size. 185 batting average, zero walks. But he's not. And the thing about Mantiply is, given his age, I don't think he's necessarily a long-term piece. But I think he's a solid second or third lefty in the bullpen. Put him in middle inning, middle inning guy. Don't ask him to do high leverage. We all saw how that worked last year. It's a not. He's not a guy you want to put in those situations. But he can give you some left-handed outs middle of the. Middle of the game. However, the D-backs certainly already have a guy that can do that with Kyle Nelson. And Nelson is a guy, circle on him. Maybe he can take on a little bit of larger role next year. Because I like the uh, I like the stuff, and I like the me- the mental makeup with Kyle Nelson. I think maybe you try him in a better role next year. If not, you, he's, um, he's still a solid middle reliever lefty that can get those outs. And we saw that last night. It's like Nelson is the D-backs' best left-handed pit reliever by default. Although he's still having a pretty good season altogether. I think a left-hand reliever is ultimately something the D-backs need to pick up at the trade deadline. I think Sam Wall was recently traded yesterday but he, for a pretty light return. But uh, I don't think that was a guy the D-backs were necessarily interested in picking up because 
My theory on Tim Hall is if the D-backs liked him, they would have promoted him to the big leagues in 21 instead of let him go to Oakland. I think they have an aversion. I think it's the thing is where their aversion to walks might be a thing. Aversion to walks and then uh, as a trade-off for a big strikeout guy, which is fine to have in a medium left, no worse than le- medium leverage. So anyway, we talk. So we look at the bullpen, obviously. I think the D-backs need to pick up a left-hand reliever to try and replace Andrew Chafin. I don't mind them holding on to Chafin for the rest of the year, but they need um, the fact that Chafin has performed so badly and a lot of his bad performances have impacted the team's win-loss record. I think you have to uh, at least consider other options. So, so looking at the Dimebacks trade options here, and as we get into that, um, talk about Jace Peterson, but before we do that, hit that subscribe button, leave a like on the video, well, video or live stream, and uh, comment down below what you think of the Paul Sewell trade, and if the Dimebacks should pick up a left-hand reliever at the deadline, but more or less, it's just a... I said a left-handed reliever I think is a need. A right-handed outfield bat would be nice. Not necessarily... I would put that like fourth. The mar- I think it's a case where the market might not necessarily meet the demand. I know Lane Thomas would be an interesting fit, but I guess, but, Arizona, but considering that Thomas is controllable, it's... Uh, Thomas is controllable as uh, the Padres just... Finalize, are finalizing a trade to pick up uh, Old Man Rich Hill, or as Jack Summers likes to say, eligible for Medicare. Rich Hill. Interesting deal by the Padres. That rumor, for me, I say thank you, San Diego. I did not like the idea of picking up Rich Hill. Obviously, the Dimebacks are have to be in the market for a starting pitcher, although I've heard recently that uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Michael Lorenzen, has picked up interest with the Dodgers, which would be a bad thing, obviously, because they, one, they'd be off the market. And I know the D-backs were also linked to Jack Flaherty. Like, Flaherty is okay. Like, it'd be like the... For me, Flaherty would be the minimum acceptable pickup at the deadline. In line, and of... It's a... It's just a, uh, I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, like I said, Flaherty, Flaherty would be okay for me. I would like them to go after Lorenzen's solid middle guy, middle rotation guy, for more of a four than a three. And then Rodriguez obviously would be best case scenario, depending on uh, how much salary they have to take. And we know that uh, I would give it 95% odds that Rodriguez opts out of his contract because... Being $49 million isn't necessarily so tough in the market, especially if San Diego's paying. And it looks like uh, Blue Jays are in talks to acquire Paul DeYoung. I was, like I said, you could predict that trade happening as soon as Bichette got... As soon as Bichette went down last night. Let me leave a note on that one. So... Yeah, Blue Jays, who are barely hanging on to a wild card spot in the American League, are, gonna, are in talks to get Paul DeYoung, which makes a lot of sense. They don't necessarily need a long-term guy. They just need someone to finish out the season, said Bichette. And DeYoung, even though he doesn't hit for a high average, kind of like the anti... Kind not Actually, no, Bichette doesn't like power, but kind of like an opposite thing. Kind of like an opposite batting approach where Paul DeYoung is more power over hit. Guy has peaked that hit in like 240 with 30 homers. Let's take a look at his numbers. We're going to look at his basic numbers. We don't need to go too in-depth. We're just looking at his All-Star 2019 season. I feel old now. I just looked at Paul Young's birthday, and it's tomorrow, and he turns 30. And then the day after tomorrow, I turn 30. 
So yeah, his all-star season hit 233 with 30 homers. And he's having a, he's hitting, he's got a sub 300 on base percentage on the year, but he's a guy that's a more of a power over hit. Hit just enough slug to make it work offensively at shortstop. So that's what, that's what the Blue Jays are doing. Talking about the Dimebacks, like I said, I've mentioned a few starter candidates. The Dimebacks at this trade deadline need to complete the process. You got your closer. Now you got to get your number three starter. And I say getting a closer without getting a starting pitcher is like uh, having a cake but forgetting to make the dinner. It's like It's like making dessert without making dinner. Everyone loves dessert. But if if all you eat are sweets, it's like you're going not only going to have cavities, you're going to be fat. It's not going to be. It's not a healthy, not healthy, not sustainable kind of thing. Looking at the uh, so this is a pretty interesting. So like I said, there's a pretty interesting tweet that was put out by the D-back stats and info guy. I'm going to pull that up here. This is a like baseball is weird. And we're talking about teams in the West uh, national league. The Padres are only a game ahead of the Mets in the wild card are buying. Whereas the angels are half a game ahead of the Mariners and are buying. Although I think they're extenuating circumstances when it comes to the the two teams that are buying. The Padres are just like, screw it. Going all in. Even though they have no reason. Going all in. I think they're in a situation where they really can't back down. They're in a situation where they feel like they can't back down. Even though it might be in their best interest to maybe reload for next year. Unless they plan on re-signing Josh Hader and Blake Snell. Which I would assume both of them are going to hit the free agent market after declining a qualifying offer. Although it would be interesting. Would a team give Josh Hader a qual. Oh, Josh Hader is going to be the more interesting qualifying offer, too. And he was certainly going to get a better return than whatever than getting a fourth round draft pick, because San Diego's over the luxury tax, and because of that, they can only get a fourth round pick. A team under luxury tax gets a pick after the comp B round, which I say a second round pick. And of course, a team like the Diamondbacks, or a revenue sharing team, they would get a pick after the first round. So that was something that's kind of interesting. And of course, in the Dimebacks situation, the 2024 draft, they could have uh, been a similar situation with Seattle was this year. It's pretty interesting. So we're just uh, reporting in on the dead, on the deadline stuff. said, Justin Verlander. Uh, Justin Verlander, uh, the Astros, the Padres, and the Braves are teams that are linked to Verlander. Although it sounded like Houston was pretty close to pulling the trigger on the deal, but the Mets had an issue with the return, I think is what it was, and that's what's going on with the Verlander thing. I think ultimately the Astros are... Still, probably, I would still land the Astros as a favorite, especially since Verlander has a no-trade clause, and obviously he's going to waive it for Houston since he was just there last year. Pretty interesting by the Mets. It's like they're it's the Mets after investing in Scherzer and Verlander and all those guys. It's like they're pressing, kind of like pressing the reset button. They kind of look at their roster. There's a bunch of underperforming guy. Their best players are underperforming, and they're. They got a lot of aging talent on their roster. Because you look at their core, Francisco Lindor obviously is the the face of the franchise at this point after giving him a $300 plus million contract. And you got Pete Alonso, whose all-star game appearance to me was questionable. But MLB is going to go for ratings with the home run derby. The uh, guy that won in two of the last three home run derbies or something like that is up. They want him in there. That's how it is. 
the case of uh, they don't have. It's like then they got uh, Brett Beatty, solid, solid prospect third baseman. Although it's certainly, uh, I think there was a time where Brett Beatty was considered comparable to Corbin Carroll as a prospect, but then that last year happened. Then Carroll took that leap into being a. Carroll took that leap into basically being an all-star level player, whereas Beatty's still a very solid player, but not an elite, uh, not necessarily a all-star level player. Uh, never mind, I take it back. Beatty's been replacement level this year. Ouch. I think it's a, a situation where you have comparable prospects and Corbin Carroll being better than most of them. It's like, I think that says more about Corbin Carroll than the other guys. Let's, let's pull up Corbin Carroll quick. There's a lot of time to fill out. So obviously Carroll has an open. See how ridiculous Corbin Carroll's rookie seat. Kind of how crazy it is. Four point three WAR. He's, it's gonna be interesting to see if Carroll can catch. It can uh, outpace Brandon Webb's rookie year. Although, obviously, Brandon Webb's rookie year, Webb was twenty four for his rookie year, so he's older. Carroll, obviously, I think the main concern is can Carroll get to thirty homers? Although, got better numbers and fewer bats than Michael Harris the second last year. I think the OPS plus is similar. Carroll's OPS plus is at 144 for the season. See, 144. Which is a very good number. You look at the uh, high stolen base number, 33 of 36 in steals, 20 homers. The first national and Carroll's already cemented his status as the first National League rookie with a 20 homer, 30 stolen base season. So you already got your big stat narrative for the rookie of the year thing. So I found so if you were to ask yourself, okay, who finishes second, who finishes third? In my opinion, if I were to vote, and obviously I'm probably never going to get a vote in this situation, you never know. Because I'd say I'm more of a content creator than a writer at this point. So the BBWAA is probably not a career path for me. But you never know. You said uh, Jesse found a way to make those two things work. Maybe I will someday. Uh. So obviously Carroll's number one, who finished the second, in my opinion. Number two is Patrick Bailey of the Giants. And then number three is Matt McClain of the Reds. No, Ellie De La Cruz would not be top three in my ballot. Would not, would not be top three on my ballot. And I'll kind of just showcase. I feel like Matt McClain has been a bigger reason why the Reds are winning. Obviously, everyone... Everyone talks about Elliot De La Cruz, or as I like to call him, the stack cast god, due to his insane exit velocity, speed, and uh, what home run distances. Of course, that was a nickname I previously bestowed on uh, O'Neill Cruz, who looks like he should be playing football instead of baseball. So, yeah, I, th- I don't think Matt McLean gets talked about enough as a Rookie of the Year candidate for finishing second. As you look at 66 games, he's got a 134 OPS plus. That's only 10 points less than Carroll. And of course, Matt McClain will forever make the D-backs regret take, taking the um, decision to take him. And I know that was talked about in the Paul Sewell video. I think that was brought up by, brought up by James in the Paul Sewell video. But it's like, if Corbin Carroll didn't exist, I think Matt McClain's your rookie of the year. And Patrick Bailey, obviously, he gets points for being a catcher doing the offense. And I liked Patrick Bailey going into that 2020 draft, but I realized at the end it was like he had no chance of making it to Arizona. That would have been a great pick. If he lasted three, if he lasted five more draft picks. Bailey had a 92 OPS plus with good catcher defense. Like, I think you have to consider the position and his level of defense in the rookie of the year thing. Bailey, obviously, 
doesn't walk. That's literally the only thing wrong with his offensive profile. Doesn't walk. Doesn't walk, but it's not impossible. It's it barely doubles his walk rate from microscopic to the microscopic two point nine. Reduces the strikeouts to league av- if league average, and that walk rate's like five six percent. I think he's a qual. I th- I think he's a borderline all star cat uh, all star catcher. And that's kind of the same thing with Moreno too. Moreno walks a little bit more. The National League has a couple of nice young uh, catchers between Moreno and Bailey. Similar OPS plus, whereas uh, I think in the case of Patrick Bailey, it's a lack of walks. In the case of Moreno, it's a combination of lack of walks and lack of power, but both of them are so good defensively that you'll take the uh, offensive shortcomings. Although I do think Moreno is a better hit, will evolve into a better hitter than uh, what we've seen so far this year. He's only 23 years old. He's at he's at the point of his career where it should get better. It should get better. Where um, skills will peak probably around 25, 26 years old. So we got a couple more years, and then there'll be a plateau at that point. Plateau for another three to four years, and, it, and that's pretty much uh, Moreno's con- team control with the D-backs. So, like I said, give him an extension. Moreno's the D-backs' top extension candidate, in my opinion. This is something I talked about, I believe, in a D-backs banner podcast video. I don't remember it. It's unlisted. Those podcasts are unlisted, un- unlisted, but it's like, if I find it, I'll probably put the, li- the link in there. So we'll catch up on more on the trade deadline stuff. Rays acquire AAA arms from the Cubs. The Twins are picking up on uh, Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez. For me, Teoscar Hernandez isn't really a candidate for the D-backs. A a right-handed hitting outfielder that can play right field with power is not... Certainly on paper seems like a good matchup, but Hernandez's uh, strikeout rate kind of is a turnoff for me. Is a turnoff, although we have to look at splits again with Hernandez. Could be a case where right-hand pitchers are just carving them up. And that is indeed the case. So, despite that, it's like, even if you look at his uh, numbers, he's hitting 303, but it's a balls and play average of 396. Not necessarily sustainable. Over the long haul, although against lefties, you're never going to have enough plate appearances. Unless it's like a fast hitting regression like Guriel. Guriel's batting numbers the last couple months, although even the regressions hit harder than we expected. In the case of uh, Hernandez, a 300 hitter, but a 31 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio certainly doesn't play well long play well long term. Although the fact it's like six homers and 93 plate appearances, you certainly would like to add that kind of power to your lineup. Lineup, but the salary is probably too much for a fourth outfielder type. Fourth outfielder type, so that's a... I think that's a situation where Arizona's just passed. It's a situation where Arizona should and will pass. In that regards, the focus should be trying to land a start. Focus at this point should be trying to land a start, and if you can land a bat, so be it. Still got about two and a half hours left before the trade deadline, although some news will be reported after the deadline hits at 1 p.m. Arizona time. Not much going on. It said, uh, the backs are among the teams that have discussed Michael Lorenzen with the Tigers from John Morosi. It's like, it's a, D-backs have probably been linked to every starting pitcher in the market this entire deadline. I haven't seen a name that they haven't been linked to other than Lance. Lance Lynn's probably the only big name that they didn't. I haven't seen any links to. Um, Lorenzen obviously was someone that I de- that uh, we identified. Jack and I identified as a trade candidate. Got a chance to see it. When the D-backs went to Detroit, we got a chance to see Lorenzen. I thought he pitched pretty well, and then obviously the D-backs got that big inning that made his numbers look worse than they actually were. Than he actually pitched. Bottom line looked worse. That was one of those situations where he was uh, 
He pitched well for six innings, and then the D-backs got a couple guys on in the seventh. And the D-backs got a guy on the seventh. Next guy hits a double in the gap. And then Detroit goes to the bullpen, and then it blows up into a big inning. Remember that. If you remember that game. Was the series opener against Detroit. I don't remember the date exactly. It might have been June 9th, I think. It was a situation where it was a 2-2 game going into the uh, seventh inning. Lorenzen, I think, gave a single to the first guy, and then the second batter was, I think it was Rivera. And he launched, and he split the left center field gap for a double, and that put Arizona ahead. 3-2, then Detroit made a pitching change. And that's all she wrote for that game. So we're going to look up Michael Lorenzen's uh, game log here, just to point out here. And we're going to do another screen share of Baseball Reference. Like I said, Baseball Reference is the go-to website for any person that is interested in baseball analysis. We got it. Like I said, Lorenzen's been very good. So look at so we already showed splits with Andrew Chafin. Here's how you do game log. Pitching game logs. Alright, so we'll pull it up. June 9th against the Dimebacks. He did not pitch poorly. Although the D backs did get to him. The home run was a Corbin Carroll blast. And if we actually pull up that game log, let me pull up that box score for the game, which you can do by just clicking on the date. It was back when we thought the D-backs were going to win the division. We're going with the... uh, There should be play-by-play data somewhere. So you look at the top of the seventh. So what happened... So the D-backs... So going in the top of the seventh, the D-backs had a... It was a 50-50 win probability stand. And of course, if you're uh, starting pit, if you're in the seventh inning with a 50-50 win pro, if at work, uh, 50-50 win probability, I would say you're starting a pretty decent job, or you're scoring a lot of runs. And in a two-two game, obviously, we know the answer. That we know which one it is. And you see Walker doubled, Rivera doubled, then uh, Rojas sacrificed and sack bunt moved to. Uh, Rivera the third. McCarthy singles 4-2. Perdomo flies out down the right field line. I don't remember if it was a kid. I can't remember if that was the McKinstry play or not. And then they got beat by Jose Herrera. And that got beat by Jose Herrera and that was your, and that's that was the end for him. Then uh Sometimes it's just one mis one one small mistake that turns us a, a like a well an inning that turns a run scoring inning into a big inning. The catchers so the catchers interference. I mean, then the bases loaded walk set loaded the bases so then Marte walks and then Carroll hits a grand slam. Is the case, and then Lorenzen obviously was probably left in too long in the seventh. That's a situation where your manager, once you give up the, uh, I think the reasonable time to pull him would have been after the Josh Rojas sacrifice bunt. Because you you need to bring in a strikeout, and you're tiring starting. Pit- you're in a situation where you need a strikeout, and you need to bring your tiring pitcher in. That was just something interesting. So you can so this is just going through the game the box score on baseball reference, which is a recommend for me. I'm a little bit sorry it's all over I'm a little bit sorry it's a little bit all over the place. Normally we have um normally uh a little bit more time to collect my thoughts, but more or less but keep an eye out for Lorenzen. I'm not sure about Rodriguez. 
I don't know if they'll sell on Chafin. Like I said, Dimebacks have to pick up. Yeah, it looks like Rodriguez is lined up for the Dodgers. Could be lined up for the Dodgers, and I hate that, obviously. Because it makes the Dodgers better, and it makes it harder for the Dimebacks to win the division if the Dodgers make a good move. Like I said, we got uh, a little less than two and a half hours for the deadline, and then obviously we're at the type of point where trades are probably going down, but they're get, as you know with the uh, as you know um, with this front office, the D backs don't leak, uh, don't necessarily leak until it's about done deal. I mean, who saw the Paul Paul who saw Paul Seawall coming? There was no indication that Arizona was linked to him until they did the trade. Which tells me that the uh, teams that they're linked to is coming from the teams they're trading with. They're leaking it to the media. The backs are pretty tight-lipped about what they're going to do. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't surprise me if that's also the case with the Mantiply and Chafin rumors. But anyways, uh, from what Hazen said last night, when they were talking about Josh Peterson. I mean, not Josh Peterson. Why did I say Jace Peterson? My my apologies. Uh, so. The, the A's were uh, traveling to Southern California. I don't think they played the Dodgers last night, so. It won't be a long, too long a plane flight, although California is obviously a very long state. Paul Sewell being in Seattle might have been closer. To, I can't remember if it's closer to San Francisco than Los Angeles. It's definitely closer than Phoenix because you have horizontal distance. <laughs> when Google isn't very useful, I just want a straight up yes, no answer. You know, or, and the Google gives you a bunch of bullshit. My apologies. There's a lot of uh, useless stuff sometimes. Like I said the Paul DeYoung trade is now finalized, but like I said, that was a trade you knew you saw coming the minute that Bush Bichette went down. So losing Bichette for the Blue Jays, I think, was a huge deal. And getting, fortunately, there was a rental shortstop available. I don't think the D-backs necessarily are in that situation. Oh, they're in that situation with the starting rotation. When uh, Tommy Henry went down, although I think Dimebacks still needed to acquire a starting pitcher before Henry went down. And Henry doesn't appear to have too lengthy of an absence intended, although you never know with elbow injuries. It, it could be a setback. A setback with an elbow injury could be... Going under the knife, the knife, and you're out for this for a year, as we've learned with uh, Jameson. Actually, that wasn't a setback. I don't think that was a setback. Certainly, that's the nature of elbow injuries. So it looks like uh, the Dodgers are on Eduardo Rodriguez's no trade list. So I don't know if that means anything or not. I would assume most players that uh, unless I would assume the Dodgers would have Dodgers aren't a team that necessarily uh, you don't wait or a team that you have to worry about the no trade, no trade list unless it's coming out of the division. But be interesting to see how that goes, how that plays out. Like So the no trade list. So theoretically, Rodriguez could block a trade to the Dodgers if he wants. I don't see it happening because the Dodgers are a first-place team and obviously the winning pedigree that they've had over the decades, certainly. Well, I'd be a fool to... It's like... Almost be a fool to 
or you must really not like it's like either don't like LA, being in LA or it's uh to not want to go to the Dodgers kind of thing. The Dodgers have always been kind of at the cutting edge when it comes to baseball innovation and going back even to the I would say before even before the 40s. Certainly not. More or less. Uh, let me see how the see what the two teams figure out to try and waive that no, try and get uh, Rodriguez to waive that no trade clause. And of course, uh, like I said, uh, like I said, keep an eye on the Lorenzen deal. Keep an eye on Lorenzen rumors, obviously. That's the one, I would say that's probably the one, one on D-backs are listening on. They might have other deals lined up because obviously Peterson one literally came out of nowhere and then there was nothing linking the Dimebacks to Seawald until the trade actually happened. As for a bat, like I said, Tasker Hernandez and Ty France obviously are on the market, but I don't think that's a situation where D-backs are necessarily interested. Otherwise, I think it would have been, they would have done it in all one package deal. Situation, you don't trade for Seawald, show interest in Hernandez and not try and get them both at the same time. The difference, uh, the difference of having Seawald for one one less day, certainly. May have played up. It almost played. It almost came back to bite him last night. Like, but fortunately, like uh, the bullpen was able to not give up an earned run in the final four in the third inning, so it didn't ma- matter. As I joked on Twitter, the D-backs have an ERA of zero in the Paul Seawold era, <laughs> and the one run that they did allow was kind of like a an es- a series of escalating bad luck necessarily. Strikeout turned into a a productive out, and then. A poor, uh, not necessarily great blocking turned into a wild pitch. If we look at the D-backs farm system, obviously, if you've seen the top 10 video, I think D-backs are going to have to part with somebody on that list in order to facilitate a starting trade. Obviously, the market for a starting pitcher is pretty high. Saw what Montgomery got, and obviously Lawrence and probably not going to get as strong a return as Jordan Montgomery or <coughs> yeah, Lawrence shouldn't require the prospect cost of Montgomery. That's the, uh, that's to me, that's the interesting thing. However, I do think, uh, in the Padres case, trading, uh, in the Padre, uh, Padres Pirates trade, I think Pittsburgh did pretty good to pick up, uh, Jackson Wolf from the Padres. Obviously, the Padres aren't going to be necessarily patient to wait on a prospect. A prospect starting pitcher to develop. They're gonna probably move all their. They're probably gonna move most of their prospects in order to get guys that can help them the next two or three years try and win a title. So I think that was a pretty good get. That was a pretty good get for Rich Hill and G Man Choi for Pittsburgh, and then another trade. Brad Hand. Curiously enough, the uh, if uh, Brad Hand in exchange for right-handed pitcher Alec Barger, his that one Barger is in Double A. Like I said most of the prospects in this deadline that have been dealt are at the Double A level or better. You look at Diamondbacks trade for Seawall; they gave up uh, a Double A prospect and then two guys off their. 26 man roster. Then you look at uh Dimex will have to make some roster moves. Jace Peterson obviously not I doesn't count on the 40 man roster because they gave up 
forgetting who they gave up. They gave up a double A starting. They gave up a double A pitcher in order to get Peterson. Obviously, Chad Patrick's not necessarily a top thirty prospect, but that's just kind of the returns that teams are at are getting. It's double A or higher. They want. They don't necessarily want to go for lottery tickets. The only lottery ticket trade was uh, where the main return was lottery ticket type prospects was when the Marlins picked up David Robertson from the Mets in exchange for two rookie ball prospects, but certainly uh, any rookie ball prospect that ranks in a top 30 list is going to have a tremendous upside. The upside that maybe if you have good a good development system in place, and I think the Marlins do have that in place when it comes to pitchers, not necessarily sure on hitters because we never really had a chance to evaluate that. <coughs> yeah. Yeah, my throat's getting a little bit dry, but going back to the develop if you believe in the development your development system, you may be willing to take a chance on Oh sorry, I was talking about the Marlins. I meant the Mets. If the Mets feel good about their development, that necessarily you might take a more talented but a more talented player that is farther away. And perhaps that's what teams are trying to do with uh, Drew Jones. Obviously, Jordan Lawler and Brandon Fott are likely off the table in any sort of trade for the D-backs. Many teams are trying to get Drew Jones off their hands, trying to buy low on the number two overall pick. But I don't see a situation where Arizona parts with Drew Jones before 2025. Because they had just used the number two pick on him. So that's how much they value him. They That's how much they value Jones and his ceiling. And obviously Jones, as I mentioned in past videos, that Jones was drafted more for upside than floor. Whereas Tommy Troy is literally the, the antithesis of it. Drafted for floor, not ceiling. But when you're drafting at 2 versus drafting at 12, it's a much different dynamic. When you're drafting at 12, you kind of are at the mercy of 10 other teams to make your decision. Whereas drafting at 2, it's like, okay, D-backs last year had two guys they liked. They took, they took one of them. Whereas Holiday was more of the floor prospect. Well, and of course, obviously, Holiday's got a very high floor. He's already in double A and mashing there. Versus Jones, who's played 13 minor league games and has been hurt all season. Pretty much hurt his entire career. It's a pretty, inter- it's a pretty interesting dichotomy. All right, so Matt Sponson. Spell with a V. There he is. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so we're going into high A now. High A reliever for a rental shortstop that's probably barely a starting shortstop. And Young is like a two war guy, where I say, which is like the minimum for an average starter. This two war is kind of that threshold. Is if you ever look at wins above replacement, it's two. Although you'll certainly take a well a high performing arm in relief, twenty six relief appearances. Although twenty six relief appearances between low A and high A, with twenty four of them being in high uh, being in high A with a one eleven ERA certainly isn't not is certainly not a bad return for a rental shortstop that has a pretty low ceiling. Kind of got it there. Even though, like I said, you got a 20, he's kind of old for the level at 24, 24 year old reliever. Maybe it's a situation where the Cardinals are buying in on an older arm. I'll have to look at his draft pedigree. Might be a late round guy. Yeah, 13th round. Probably was drafted as a senior, so obviously the age thing is going to be a thing. I think the same is true for Ivan Melendez. Although I imagine they're going to move him quickly. Like I said, 23 in double A. Probably will make his major league debut in his age 20. I'm looking at age 25 season, most likely with Melendez. If he's not moved. Moved in this year or next year. Alright, so. Reached the 50 minute mark, which is usually my uh, cue to start wrapping up. The more trades obviously are going to be coming in the next two hours, and then obviously more will be reported after the next two hours because those trades have gone through before the 
the uh, 4 p.m. Eastern deadline. And we saw with uh, we saw in 2019 the Granky deal basically got done at the last minute. Done at the last minute, it kind of popped not too long after. There's a lot of things going on, so keep an eye on those trade rumors. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a like, comment down below who you want to see the Dimebacks target in a trade, and if they can land, if they're going to land Michael Lorenzen from the from the Tigers as they're trying to help their rotation, or and if they might trade for someone else on top of that. If you're interested. We have a Patreon page, although uh, we're not worried about the Patreon page necessarily. But it's uh, if you want, for $5 a month, you can unlock some extra content. Although we're not necessarily primarily worried about it. We're just more worried about getting, uh, I guess you could say more eyeballs, more ears in on the show. Necessarily, maybe we'll work on that at a different point. It could be like a YouTube membership if we get to 500 subs. Perk, but anyways, the next show will be tomorrow at ten o'clock. Uh, I'll get to, and we'll talk about the aftermath of the deadline and kind of what's next for the Diamondbacks moving forward. Got, and they'll have two th- a third of their, at when we talk about the show. We we'll talk about what their season is. They'll ha- we're at the two thirds mark because they'll be playing game number one hundred eight tonight. One hundred eight tonight. Currently at fifty-seven and fifty, tied for the final wildcard spot in a three-way tie with the Marlins and the Phillies. All three teams having a fifty-seven and fifty record. And then looking at the standings for the wild card, got Chicago and San Diego obviously lurking. I'm oh, sorry, I said Philadelphia has a wild card spot at 57-49. It's the Brewers that have a 57-50 record. My mistake. So anyways, uh, if, you, if you're on the audio-only format, our shows are uploaded to Apple Podcasts. You can check that check that out not too long after this, after this show ends. Obviously, we have to have the audio first before we can upload it. But anyways, thanks everyone for watching and listening in. We'll be back tomorrow to discuss what goes on in the next three out next three hours. I can't believe it.